Hello and welcome. This is Modern Beers and 90s Nostalgia. I'm your host, Justin Lamb. I'm joined today by a very special guest, uh, Michael O'Brien. Special in what sense? Special because I've known you since I've had memories. Oh, that's good. I, uh, I we had we had a lot of memories going back there. Eight nine years old. Eight nine like years. Well, so I moved to I moved to Detroit when I was when I was like nine and a half. Yeah. So okay, and, ten. Yeah. We'll say ten. We'll say ten. Fourth grade was ten. That's so. right. Fourth grade. You're right. And so coming into fourth grade, uh, it was a Pine Knob Elementary. Is yeah. Where we were, and uh, I remember that the first thing I was struck by in meeting. You're all giving these, away all my security question answers. All these, <laughs> these Southeast Michigan kids was. Jesus Christ, these kids swear a lot. Man, from the mean streets of Pine Knob Elementary. Yeah, I had an older brother. Oh. He wow. just cussed up a storm. Yeah. He wore black in sixth grade and smoked what? cigarettes, so. Sexy. I get everything from him. <laughs> uh, Mike's here to uh, talk about something super fun that we were into in the 90s. I'll get into that shortly. And there's, <laughs> there's a version of it I'm playing on my TV behind me, and it's... Very active, so I'm going to turn that off because that's distracting me. But uh, And then we have some fall beers because it is officially fall, and you'll be hearing this on October 1st, which I don't know if you caught this on the last episode because you revealed you did listen to the last episode. I did. But uh, you are joining me on our one-year anniversary episode. So I didn't know if the dates were going to line up, but because uh, I just listened to it this morning yeah. uh, on the on a road trip that I was out with my wife, and uh, and I said... Am I on the one-year anniversary episode? I think I might be. She's I just, like to put a lot of pressure on people. And she was like, that's great, honey. I'm like, this is kind of a big deal. Just go with it. <laughs> it's very exciting. Uh, I can't believe that this is still happening a year later. But hey, thanks to everyone who's helping make that happen a year later. But we have we have two beers today instead of one because it's a special episode. So I'm going to jump into it. Uh, we'll take a little break and listen to some songs from the songs uh, the spawn soundtrack you'll know what i'm talking about soon So it is fall, it is October, well, at least it's October when you're listening to this, and uh, it is one year anniversary, I got two beers instead of one. It's a double, double, your pleasure, double your fun episode. I can't talk. But first, I'm going to open this wine bottle looking one, and uh, this is Flying Monkeys Brewery out of Canada. Maybe you've heard of it, Mike? I have heard a little <laughs> bit about Canada. What's weird there is how different everything is. And by different, I mean literally exactly the same. Except but, your milk is in a bag. Well, if you talk to Canadians, like they will do everything they can to draw some kind of crazy distinction about how they're different from Americans. And if you talk to Americans, they will be all like, oh, Canada is so different. I, as somebody who spends a significant amount of time on both sides of the border, y'all are basically like a brother and sister who can't figure out that uh, you grew up in the same household, you have all the same traditions. Get your life together. Seriously, everything's fine. You'll be fine. Also, pass NAFTA. All right, let's keep going. All right. Uh, Flying Monkeys has a an amazing IPA that I can't think of what it's called. Oh, Atomic Atomic Bomb, I think. Atomic Bomb IPA. I might have talked about it on the show before because it's, it's one of my favorite IPAs. Um, can't always get it because it is, like I said, it's a Canadian brewery. 
But hey, we're in Michigan, so we can get a lot of Canadian things. But this is Flying Monkey's Paranormal Imperial Pumpkin Ale. It's 10% alcohol. Um, do not have IBUs on it. I may, at a later point, decide to look it up on Untapped and tell you what it is. But for now, I don't care, because we have two beers to get through. And I need to get another set of glasses for the second beer, because we're definitely not going to chug the first one. I mean, we can if you want. <laughs> now, Justin, I have on my calendar here... Uh -oh. That uh, somewhere here in the next month or two is Justin can drink again. Now, what's going on here? Oh, so I can't. <laughs> I'm cheating. Why are there two? Why are there two glasses being poured here? I, I'm Justin's drinking. Doctor is listening. This is not my fault. I'm drinking solely for the podcast. <laughs> my health is 100% dependent on the people that listen to this. <laughs> I don't think they're doing a very good job. If this is what we're doing here. Still, worth it. Alright, we clinking? Get in there. Yeah, clink. Clink me. Lachaim. So this is, uh, yeah, Paranormal Imperial Pumpkin Ale, Flying Monkeys Brewery, out of Canada. That definitely tastes like a pumpkin spice latte that made it to a beer. <laughs> like yeah, that. so I was talking with someone recently about, like, the pumpkin flavor. It's not actually pumpkin. It's something else. Yeah, it's else. just the yeah. allspice, nutmeg, cinnamon, and what am I missing? Something. But yeah, that's that's all they do. Like anything that's pumpkin flavored, there's sometimes no pumpkin at all in it. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is bad. I mean, it's good. It, but no, the it, imperial. It, I mean, you can definitely taste the the alcohol hits you. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but there's yeah those those that notes. Is a, that is an overwhelming pumpkin those, spice. Those cinnamony flavor. spice notes yeah. are there. And I get and I think in some ways that uh, that this flavor will be forever ruined for me because of all the different things that have nothing to do with pumpkin that got put in. Pumpkin spice everything. Yeah, pretty much. Like Darth Vader. I don't know why I said that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you know what this almost tastes like? It almost tastes like a cider. Yeah. No, I buy that. I buy because because the because of those uh, those pumpkin notes when they come through, you yeah. can, it, it it does give you a bit of the apple on the way down. Yeah, this is a uh, this is too pumpkiny for me. I'm still going to drink it, but... I mean, we can, we can just get a funnel and take care of this right now. We're not supposed to do that. Justin, you're not supposed to be drinking. You're not supposed to funnel alcohol into your butt either, but that was your recommendation. Well, uh, I mean, do you really regret that recommendation? I don't think you do. I wish you'd put your pants on. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get another set of glasses so we can try this other one. This one's super pumpkin. You would love this. My wife. Really? Um... Katie, if you're listening to this, enough. pumpkin spice beer is not really a thing. It, does, it doesn't taste good. This doesn't count. This doesn't count as beer. My so wife how did your like, wife become a chronic alcoholic? Oh, it's only in the fall. Now, my wife is much like your wife. Um, I, you know, I've listened Gorgeous to, and super smart. Well, both of those things and also is not a beer person. Yeah. And I convinced... And I, like, date one, when we sat down, I said, okay, the problem is not that you're not a beer person, you just haven't had the right beers, thinking like every other <laughs> rational human being that, uh, you know, she's been drinking Bud Light or Bush Light or, or God forbid, Keystone Light, you know. I know someone that drinks Bush Light. <laughs> and I was just like, here, you just need to try the super hoppy beer, and I think she, you know, that, yeah, it, it didn't go well. You know, I've talked about that on here before, and it seems like everybody that's a beer fan to introduce beer to someone that's not, they always pick something hoppy, which is the exact opposite of what you should I be doing. I should have gone for like a light ale or something. Yeah. yeah. You want to go with something with low IBUs and, I mean, alcohol content varies. If it's someone that's like, I don't like beer, but I shoot vodka regularly, then you could probably get a high alcohol. Yeah. Beer. 
Um, what she good. did when we were in Portland, though, she had sour beers, which uh, she was over the moon for. But I couldn't handle them See, because they yeah. don't taste like beer to me. They don't. I have almost got sour ones. beers for us today, and I, uh, I'm a hit or miss of sour beers because some people do it really well where it's sour, but it's still uh, there's still a lot of flavor on the back end, but. A lot of them. Oh, see, people, you know how it's fall? Because you can hear that. That is my heat vent going, and that was a problem uh, for the first half of this podcast <laughs> because we started it in October last year. And then uh, no heat vent all summer, but there it is again. It just adds to the charm. By uh, the way, is that an, is that an R2-D2 there? In, oh, yeah. Or in, new in box on your wall? Oh, yeah. I think I might have actually been there when you purchased Oh, that. I have bad news for you, my friend. What's that? I, so I bought that because I found that, and I checked the legitimacy. I don't know how they got it, and I don't know why. But the Mike is referring to, I have, uh, for those of you that haven't been guests on the podcast, I have a, a wall of miscellaneous 90s things like Magic the Gathering cards and Blockbuster cases, and he's looking at some action figures that I have, including X-Men Gambit, and yeah, the Star Wars R2-D2. So that is the original uh, re-release, like 97 series. Yeah, that's right. Uh, with the orange back. Uh, I checked it. That is authentic, like, 90s orange back R2-D2. I bought it at a Rite Aid five years ago. No. uh <laughs> It was five bucks. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. Oh, my God. That's a steal. So I thought they'd, like, redid it. Because but I remember we, our we were totally into Star Wars when they re-released the original yeah. trilogy. Oh, yeah. It was remastered, and they released all these toys, and we were... Like there was this this funky little toy store next to next to like a, a baseball card shop over on Dixie Highway that we used to we used to go in there and pretend like we knew we were buying. We never didn't. Just pretend. Just pretend. It's like yeah, collector's items. Blah blah blah. I'm totally gonna take these out of the boxes. It was like oh because. Yeah, you know who <laughs> didn't? Our friend Chad did not take them out of the box, and then our friend Chad also found out recently while I was like surfing through eBay for him. Uh, that means nothing, and they're not worth anything. Oh really? It's just like I, Beatles albums. Like I thought you were about to tell me these things were selling out for like hundreds yeah. of dollars a piece. I guess they made a lot of them. Yeah. When yeah, when you mass produce something, can't get much out of it. Yeah. There's a lot of noise here. I'm trying to open this. Uh, this is Griffin Claw Brewing. This is out of um, Birmingham, Michigan. So this is not oh. far from where we're so at. Are we just dumping this? No, right I'm gonna. I'll get another couple of glasses. But um, this is a 2017. Bourbon Imperial Screaming Pumpkin. So, mm. I'm excited already. Yeah, you know, I'm excited. It's 9% alcohol by volume, 13 IBUs, so uh, very next to nothing on the bitterness scale. And, yeah, it says it's 2017, which leads me to believe that they barrel-aged it in 2017, and now it's coming out. But they do the, the dipping, like Maker's Mark at the top. Yeah. And it has been a huge pain in the ass the last five minutes trying to open this fucking thing. I'm going to grab some glasses so we can try it. While he's out, I'm just going to say, I feel like what this is, is who can come up with a better pumpkin spice concoction, U.S. or Canada? And the answer is clearly going to be the U.S. because, seriously, while Justin can't hear you, I'm going to tell you, this pumpkin beer tastes like open ass. Like, it is bad. But I'm going to drink it because I'm trying to be a polite guest on the podcast. Oh, hey, Justin. Welcome you back. just have to drink it faster. <laughs> Oh, I put this funnel into my butthole, and it's just not going in. Yeah, no, it, it's not. It's not good. I mean, 
Like I said, I feel like if you're into the pumpkin, like, and it's really it is, close though. to a cider. That's, that's what it is. It's like, look, you need to pick what you are. You know, are you a beer with hints of pumpkin spice, or are you basically just like, there's some hops and basically, I feel like this beer is basically 50% pumpkin spice. Well, that's why I'm excited to try, <laughs> it's slowly foaming over, um, this Griffin Claw one, because this is their bourbon, essentially a bourbon barrel aged um, pumpkin ale, and their usual pumpkin one is Screaming Pumpkin. Yeah. And that's a pretty good beer, and it's like, any other nice ale, whoop, hit the microphone. It's like any other nice ale to where um, the pumpkin is like subtle. I'm, just hit, I'm trying to cause as much background noise as possible for our listeners. Oh, can you hear poor? I can't hear it. Okay, looks okay. You just want to switch. Alright, so this one, this one, definitely on the nose anyway, is a, a bit more subtle on the pumpkin spice, but you're still picking it up. No, that's a bad thing. I think that's the intent. All right. Yeah, Griffin Claw typically doesn't disappoint, so we'll find out. Yes, cheers. Slasher. Hello, Flonke. You know, the bourbon barrel on there with the pumpkin oh, spice yeah. is actually not a bad combination. That's fantastic. That's that's pretty good. I'm, I am... Uh, this is... Uh, I mean, if you're a fan, so obviously bourbon barrel aged stuff is, is all the fucking rage right now. And if you're a fan of the non-stout bourbon barrel aged stuff, no, you know what? Even the stouts, yeah, this is very reminiscent of essentially any bourbon barrel aged. Yeah, beer. But, but you do pick up some of the, and That's what I like about this one, much more so than the last one, is uh, with uh, with the uh, now what, what is the what is the actual the Griffin Claw? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, screaming pumpkin here. What uh, what you, really you're good. you're still picking up some of those notes of the pumpkin, but it's not just like oh we just dumped a bunch of pumpkin spice in the, into this regular beer have had you know have at it. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's it's just a couple of hints in there, so you know it's there, but it's not uh, it's not overwhelming or overpowering. You can't trust Canadian beer though. I'll tell you what, the people that gave you Tim Hortons crappy coffee, crappy beer. You're How not dare wrong. You? you know what? Even Canadians will admit it's like, is there anything good about the coffee? And they're basically like, no, we're basically here for Canadian patriotism. I'm like, that's the dumbest reason to go to a, to go to, a, to to go get coffee. I've ever heard. I'm gonna get off base on something that's not '90s at all. But did you watch How I Met Your Mother? Yes. All the Tim Horton stuff in Canada. Yes. <laughs> Some of the funny. But they're not like you know. Sometimes we make jokes about Starbucks in the states and how there's you know one in every corner. You go to you go to Tim you go to Canada. It is not a joke. There is a Tim Hortons on every corner up there, and every morning they will be lined up out the door and just like, what is wrong with you people? There's a Starbucks next door, and there's nobody there. <laughs> the coffee there is actually better, and it costs the same. Just just go get regular coffee like normal people. Let but, this be a lesson, Canada. Let this be a lesson, Canada. I'm a, I, I'm Michael O'Brien, American. <laughs> I'm going to come and teach you how to drink coffee. <laughs> no, I will say this, and this is funny because I think Canada is second on the list of countries that download this podcast, but... <laughs> Besides the point, um, I love Canada and the business that um, I own is in Canada. No, Flying Monkeys Brewing, <laughs> like, I don't like this beer, the pumpkin beer from Flying Monkeys. Uh, but like I said before, Flying Monkeys Atomic Bomb IPA is one of my favorite IPAs. But this Griffin Claw one is, uh, to use a phrase that is highly outdated, off the fucking chain. It's delicious. Michigan one, Canada zero. Yeah, that's really good. I'm going to drink that the rest of the episode. Can I finish? Can't I finish? Before the episode's over, yes. Okay. And here's a break.
But yeah, today's main event, our subject that we're going to be talking about, is Spawn. And you may be thinking, Justin, do you mean like the general idea of something that's birthed from something being its Spawn? No, I don't. I'm talking about Spawn, the 1990s uh, comic book hero that was also made into a movie and an animated series and some toys and a bunch of other crap. Yeah, and of all those things you just talked about, clearly what most people will remember, recognize, and appreciate is the movie. The worst because thing it was about it. <laughs> by far one of the greatest events of my adolescent life was going to this movie and realizing that you could take something great and, and turn it into a, just a monstrosity. Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Spawn, uh, just a little summary of who Spawn is. Spawn is a, is kind of an anti-hero. Um, there's a guy named Al Simmons who's like a black ops killing machine. And he's assassinated by his own company um, and makes a deal with Malboja, one of many devils in whatever religion you worship, uh, to return to Earth to see his wife. But as deals with the devil go, you may have heard of this before, uh, things go awry, and he becomes a hellspawn instead, and comes back five years later with no memory of who his wife is. <laughs> That's a bummer. Uh, and then he has a cape and chains that all kind of like have a mind of its own and can transform into anything and be used as weapons and disguises. And and then he's an antihero and like kills you know drug dealers and bad guys. And I feel like the important aspect to remember when you're thinking about Spawn is that uh, Spawn. Spawn is that first of all, whenever Todd McFarlane <laughs> was saying it in his mind, he was probably in his early to mid thirties when he came up with this concept, and he probably said it just like that: "I'm going to make a new character, and his Spawn. name is going to be." Spawn. Spawn, short for Hell Spawn. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and the reason that he would do that is because he came from Marvel Comics, where he had, admittedly, a great career and did uh, it did some really great work, but obviously was very restricted in the age range of what he could do. So I found out just like, and I, I'll, I'm going to branch off from this later because I mean this this, this podcast is essentially going to be about Todd McFarlane to some degree, um, who's like this. Todd McFarlane basically projects everything that he wishes he was onto Spud. Yeah, but Todd McFarlane's <laughs> also like a creative genius that came up with some amazing things outside of Spawn. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get there. But I, one thing I just found out today, though, that I didn't realize, and I was because I I looked it up and uh, I was like, I know that name. Uh, he created. He's one of two creators of Venom. No way. Yeah, of Spider-Man's arch enemy who is going to be in a new movie soon. And I guess that makes sense because if you remember what Venom was, he was basically like, okay, Pure evil. <laughs> if we took Spider-Man but removed all moral and sanity constraints yeah. on him, what would he be? And, and made him a goo. Venom. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might remember that the Venom costume was originally supposed to be like a Spider-Man costume. Yeah, it was like an anti-Spider-Man. I'm going to totally nerd out here. Yeah, so so Spider-Man goes on this the Infinity War. Yeah, and that which, was the symbiote, Ven the sim Venom symbiote or whatever. That's the, right. First one, yeah. But so, okay, so I'm, I'm going to tie I'm going to tie that back a little bit to what what most of your listeners might actually be familiar with. So if you saw uh, the uh, the new Infinity War movie, yeah. you might notice that when Spider Man went out to fight in cosmic space, that he basically got an upgrade from Iron Man. Yeah. Right. He's just like here's a better suit, so that basically you can hang with the big boys. Well, that actually happened in the original series with the with, with uh, Spider Man going off and fighting with the big boys. But instead of Iron Man equipping him, he got an alien suit that was a symbiote, yep. and that was Todd McFarlane's time being the animator of Spider Man. He's yep. like, basically, I need to get this guy some so upgrades. Right? Well, Todd McFarlane, um, so he was not part of the alien symbiote, but when they decided to make it its own character as Venom, he was the creator of Venom. 
Okay. So when the when the suit was like when Spider Man shed the suit and then the suit was like I'm gonna be it's my own thing. <laughs> Uh, that's when Tom McFarlane came in and became Venom, and then they took over uh, Brock, what's his name, and became Brock the, Samson? No. the uh, Venom that we know and love. I no, love it was Venom. Eddie, Eddie Brock. Eddie yeah. Brock is the guy. And I'm so excited. I like This is off subject, but I'm so excited for the new movie. It looks like they actually like got it right, because when they did Spider-Man 3, and like the idea of Venom was planted there with like four other main villains of Spider-Man, and they just ruined everything. I was like, well, fuck you too. Yeah. Because no Venom was my favorite, was my favorite action figure. I still have him. And I locked it so because he had a retractable tongue. That's <laughs> the action figure did. And I locked it so his tongue was always out. But basically, but, if you want to know about like what Todd McFarlane was all about, you can imagine a guy walking into Marvel Comics and the Spider-Man comics and basically saying, here's what I want to do. I want to create a murderous, schizophrenic villain <laughs> who literally just loves, like, murdering bad guys, you know, and he's kind of an anti-hero, but really he's kind of a villain, and we're gonna, and we're just gonna take this concept and we're gonna roll with it. Also, he's gonna have this huge, you know, really, really wicked tongue that just whips in all directions, that sort of thing, which is a precursor to every cape Todd McFarlane has ever drawn in a comic book ever. <laughs> <Really? Yes. laughs> um that really just tells you about what direction he wanted to go in, both with his writing and his animating, and I will tell you that Marvel was not all about it. Yeah. Well, it's okay, so that's that's kind of perfect segue. So, Todd McFarlane was working for Marvel. Marvel? Who's working for Marvel? They just they paid him in Marvel. <laughs> they paid him in Marvel. Obviously, he Comics left, and they paid him in Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> he was working for Marvel, um, and then he broke away and started Image Comics in 1992, which... Many, like, if you're, like, a hardcore comic person, um, many people will call that, like, one of the biggest moves in comics in, like, a three-decade period. Because it wasn't just Tom McFarlane. There were several other big-name animators and big-name book writers who went with him. And basically, it's, they wanted to they wanted to move on from sort of the silver and golden age of comics. Yeah. Moral constraints on the characters. Image Comics was the first reason I saw boobs in comics. Absolutely right. <laughs> and it was glorious. Um but Image Comics started in 1992, the same year that Todd McFarlane creates Spawn and it is released as a comic, uh, Spawn number one in May of 1992. And the first issue, this is crazy. This this little stat was nuts to me. Because even though comics were bigger back then, this was still crazy. The first issue of Spawn sold 1.7 million copies. Jesus. That's crazy. And that's for, because you got to remember too, like it's not like... Which God, also is like, none of my shit's worth anything. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I've done has any value. Because Tommy probably was not very old when he left. I don't no. know how old he was, but I want to say he was in the late 20s or early 30s. Yeah. And he, he went off and he just, he, he drew this book. It was, he wrote it, he drew it, he did basically everything himself. Yeah. You know, you know, Image was at that point self-publishing, so you can imagine like some self-publishing Amazon author today going off and just writing some BS novelette or something, and it's selling 1.7 million copies. Yeah, it's called Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so basically, this was the Fifty Shades of Grey for adolescent boys. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, yes. In a lot of ways, for real. Like, but, hey, we'll talk about number nine here in a minute because that's when Angela hit. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Todd McFarlane. He, he stopped drawing the books after number 34, so 91, or 92, Spawn number one came out. He stayed with them for 30, uh, till 34, and he returns occasionally. He did book number 50, and then he did books number 195, 196, and 200, but he stays on to write uh, essentially all of them except for a small stint, uh, 151 through 179. But Mike, you just brought up issue number nine, which was the introduction. Issue number nine was the introduction of three different characters Cagliostro um, Medieval Spawn and Medieval Angela. Spawn and Angela yep. uh, which was a collaboration with um, what's his name 
what's his name who brought a lawsuit against yeah, he did. Harlan uh, and what? But it was uh, oh, it was the guy who wrote Coraline. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, I'll think of it, but, but uh, yeah. it's gonna come to me. So Angela, explain Angela. All right. So the the idea behind uh, Angela is that uh, so the they introduce in the first couple of books the idea that Spawn is basically you know a soldier of hell, and that's a and the idea behind Al Simmons was that he was a soldier in life, and then as, when he came back, as yeah, he Spawn, was a black ops badass. Yeah, black ops badass. And I, I could talk a little bit about it. even as a even as an adolescent boy, I'm looking at some of the weapons he's using. It's like, how do you fucking carry those things, guy? Because he'd always be like almost bigger than he was. There's it's like that's no, some but no special ops operative is going to be like this thing is big. I shoot bazooka stealthily. This is some warhammer shit. <laughs> that's right. It's like for, like for real, it was it was all a little bit absurd. This this is again this is probably uh, Todd McFarlane's idea of what special ops guys carry around. But anyway. The book. So the point of, of Spawn was that he was uh, a soldier of hell, and so, um, and I'm going to remember his name, but whoever wrote Spawn number nine had yeah. said, well, if they're hell spawn, they're probably are soldiers of heaven too, and they are probably specifically designed to murder these motherfuckers. That's right, girl. And, and uh, so the Spawn number number nine was kind of a watershed for the Spawn series in two ways. One, it introduced medieval Spawn, which everybody immediately latched onto because it was just such a cool concept that you have a knight that looks like Spawn, you know, walking around and being awesome. And then, uh, and then it also introduced this this creature who paints herself as a damsel in distress but in fact ends up murdering ends up murdering him in a metal bikini which is just which was again if you're 14, very princess leia if you are 14 <laughs> years old and you're reading this book i promise you you are just like this might be the greatest thing i've ever read <laughs> not only is this medieval spawn guy also running around doing you know hate whacking shit with swords they related a crossover with witchblade which was also awesome um but uh, but now there's this this hot angel chick in a metal bikini who is also a hardcore badass mm-hmm. and just murdering spawns left and right and uh, that's basically it that was the Angela character that was the yeah. conceit and not to be overlooked in number nine uh, Cagliostro that's right what came into which he was not as big a character in the comics as they they used him hardcore in the movie and in the animated series and they also conflated he's this, he, yeah. well so Cagliostro is like. This guy that knows about the the spawn and he's like, I can train you to be yeah better. And the, the, he was the, the Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> the later uh, the later in comics explanation for Cogliostro was that uh, he was a hell spawn who had so hell spawns have this power meter, which I always thought was a cool little uh, little fictional device that every time spawn used his powers. It would show a little meter in the comic itself as to where his power stood. When it got oh to God, zero, he gave that. up his will to the Malbolgia. Right, he basically became a slave. So Cogliostro was a guy who's who was also a Hellspawn, who uh, who his meter had gotten down to literally one. So like in comic number one of Spawn, it starts out with nine 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 nine. He's like nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. It's like his power meter, and then when it runs to zero, every, so every so one of the things I liked about it is every time Spawn used his powers, you had the distinct sense as a reader. That he was using some a limited resource and basically sacrificing some portion of his longevity for whatever goal he was. Which is to unlike any other superhero. Yeah, because like Superman goes and like you know decides to like turn time back or whatever. It's like yeah. oh that costed literally like you know thirty yeah. minutes of effort. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Well, but for Spawn, brings- like if, if Spawn ever decided to do anything basically other than punch somebody. It was no for real. Like he is he is sacrificing some of his life, yeah. his for real life, in order to accomplish whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. But I always thought it was very cool. Yeah, that's a, I, I didn't even pick up on that or thing. Well, I probably did at the time, but 
I don't remember that. You know, uh, uh, the comic that I remember that I actually still have. Oh, I have it behind me in a bag. <laughs> I just remembered that. I have all my 90s stuff's in the basement. Um, the Spawn, they did a lot of crossovers, but they did a Spawn and Batman. Yes. And it was like, Batman through Image Comics is awesome. <laughs> he is, because, because, and I will say this, I you, you're probably going to pick up as this podcast goes on that I am maybe not Todd McFarlane's biggest fan. <laughs> um, but uh, I will say this, is one of the things that Todd McFarlane got really well when he wrote and drew the Batman book is that Batman is supposed to be a crazy person. We're talking about a rich dude who goes and beats up criminals to deal with his deep-seated psychological issues. This is not a normal person. Yeah. Batman's, like, the the idea of... Of the Joker and the Dark Knight is is pretty accurate to what Batman is That's in the right. reverse. <laughs> just it's like look, this, this guy insane. is just looking for an excuse to relive the night his parents got murdered, where it goes okay for him again and again and again. So yeah, that's essentially it. Uh, but it, so if you're if you're listening so far and you're like, okay, I still don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, Spawn was so successful as a con- uh, this is actually one of the originals. I mean, if you take Superman, Batman out of the if you take DC out of the, out of the uh, equation um spawn was one of the original p- people that uh got picked up by the movies yeah, that's right and so they and it they was like, supposed to be a franchise yeah <laughs> but we'll, <laughs> we'll, go well. we're gonna get there yeah so spawn, what happens um spawn the movie opens uh august 1997 so uh, what number were the comics on when this uh oh because it couldn't had it been before number 50 <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, I really don't know. That's uh, that's something I probably should have figured out. Ahead of time. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but but it was before number fifteen. If you could think that each each number in a comic represents one month, like within within a couple of years of the Spawn number one being released, Todd McFarlane gets picked up for a movie, basically. Yeah, because they shopped it around before it got uh, purchased and obviously made. And if it opened in August first, ninety seven, they probably shot it in ninety six. The comic was originally released in ninety two, four years and. Yeah, because four, four years, that's 48 issues, so it's probably right around issue 50 that, that the movie yeah, that's right. was getting made. But I, will, I will also say, for those who are interested, that issue number 50 was really where Spawn just kind of fell completely off the rails. But Bye! <laughs> Which is funny, because that's uh, one of the only ones Todd McFarlane draws after yeah, 34. <laughs> that's right. Because that's we're bringing in great... All right, wait, I don't want to derail this. Yeah. I'll, I'll go into it for just a second. Um, so Todd McFarlane stops drawing it. Greg Capolo comes in and becomes the uh, becomes the the artist in Spawn. And when that happened, Greg Capolo just loves the. You know, Todd McFarlane already loves like crazy capes. Like if you look at any any pictures of Spawn, you are hung up on the capes. Well, it's a dude. You can, you cannot miss it. Like if you pick up any oh, yeah. any comic book of Spawn, you're gonna see it's like what is going on with this fucking cape that is like 300 yards long in one frame and then yep. just a normal cape for the next yeah. one why does it always look like he's like some kind of creepy dracula character spawn is secondary to the cape <laughs> and the cape is actually a character in and of itself but then greg capital comes in and he's like oh the people they love capes so here's what i'm gonna do i'm not only gonna make the cape literally the size of you know 50 percent of manhattan every time i draw spawn which which to be clear he does this basically there's one there's one frame i have in that's, mind where true. spawn is sitting on top of the empire state building yeah very batman and spawn is this tiny tiny little huge vaguely humanoid shaped figure and off of him is this massive flowing cape that you could see for miles and it's like 
very subtle spawn. I hope nobody notices you up there. Yeah, it's bright red. <laughs> so I, I really feel like uh, what happened is Greg Capullo came in and started animating these uh, these books, and you know, and Greg Capullo is a good animator, straight up. And I don't want to I don't want to knock it, but he took some of the things that made Spawn like a little aggressive on the animating and the capes and the chains specifically, and just said, "Oh, I'm just going to turn this up to 11." And he did. Well, then, because there wasn't there was a thing in the. No, I'm thinking of... Okay, so I'm an, I am I was thinking of something else, but I will tell you, if they would have done this in the Spawn movie, it might have done a little better. Not a lot better, yeah. <laughs> but a no, little there, better. There, there's um, some deep-seated plot structure issues there. Marvel too. does Doctor Strange, like, years later. Like, yeah. what, seven years ago? Six years ago? Uh, the cloak in Doctor Strange has the personality the cape should have had Correct. in Spawn. Because that, that's, that was how it was always written. And that was the conceit, is that the, the suit that he wears is a character in and of itself, yeah, yeah. right? And uh, and, that, and that's right, as I'm watching Doctor Strange, and I'll, I'll be frank too, even as I'm watching Doctor Strange, I'm just it's just bringing me like tragic flashbacks of Spawn. I'm just like, you're making Spawn mistakes here, guys. Yeah. But... You're right. the the the, uh, the cape had character. It uh, it did things in and of you know of its own volition that yeah. made sense in the context of the movie, and that's what they should have done with Spawn, but they didn't. Yeah. So 1997. I mean, tell me. Let's say you get a, a I think it's I think it was a 40 million dollar budget. You get John Leguizamo in '97. You get Martin Sheen in '97. You get Michael J. White. Uh, I what mean, happened to like Michael you're J. White? By good. The way. He did this movie. Um, <laughs> so you're like you're good to go. There's that is a formula for success. And then they made this movie. And if you look at the credits, this is one of the things I, I noticed. And I, that's actually my last bullet point here. But Todd McFarlane, the creator of Spawn. We had zero hands in this entire. Now, see, thing. I saw you put that in there, but I'm gonna oh. take I'm gonna take a little oh. bit of issue with that. I'm sure so, there was some legality, but well, I always read the, the 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 back of the comics when I got them too yeah, the, yeah. At, during this time when all this was going on. And often when he would read, his tongue would be sticking out of his mouth a little bit. You know, I I was not. Uh, I, I was, remember these things. I am still. I was not then, and am not now. An attractive or socially acceptable man. He's the sexiest beast you've ever laid your goddamn eyes on. But uh, so I'm reading the back of the comics this time, and I remember in the lead up to the movie, you know, McFarlane was not shy about saying that this was one of the greatest projects that he'd ever undertaken. Uh, that he had, you know, a great deal. But of But he's such a tool. Input. I feel like he would have said that. Right so here, well, so I'm going to tell you specifically the anecdote that I remember that made me say, "Todd, you are not off the hook for this." There was one, uh, one. Uh, it, it was either an interview or a letter he was answering because you remember in the back of the comments like they used to have the editors write back to yeah the they did Spider-Man was huge for that yeah, and so Stan Lee would like write people so McFarlane did that too yeah. in, the, in the first like 20 or 25 image comics okay. uh, with Spawn so there was one where he he was like doing a commentary on how the Spawn movie was going. And he was like, and the you know the directors and the creative team came to me and they told me that we're, they weren't sure we had the budget to do the cape for every scene. Because you got to remember, like the cape in the movie is just something that pops out occasionally when shit's going weird, right? But the cape it is, lands before Spawn does <laughs> when he jumps right. off the building. And also turns into a motorcycle occasionally for some reason. Oh my god, this movie is so bad. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, in the comics, it's 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 a cape. Like he's always got a cape. It might yeah. be bigger or smaller depending on the whims of how aggressive McFarlane yeah. was feeling about the cape. But he always had one. Uh, in the movie, you basically just have this dude running around in a black suit. Well, that wasn't because they thought that would be cool. They it's thought too expensive. it was too expensive at that point to animate a cape for every scene. 
And uh, and so McFarlane thought basically gets into the comics and immediately starts defending you know this decision, which I will tell you is a straight mistake. Do not just show have a dude in a tight black suit running around. You know it does not look good. You don't yeah. look cool. You look like a tool. Yeah, come on. What Black Panther make the most money ever? I'm just kidding. Do we have to talk about Black Panther? No. I'm on the Eric Cartman side of the Black Panther analysis. I don't know here. what that means because I missed that season of South Park. It's, it's literally the last episode but, that just came out. Oh, but. Well, there you go. Uh, but no, I don't want to branch off because we've right. done that too many times. But uh, yeah, so I mean, critics hate it. I'm not film. good at staying on topic, guys. <laughs> That's bad. That's a bad <laughs> formula. But crit- critics hated this film. Um, fans, like, I mean, how disappointed were we? Because me, Mike, and our friend Chad, who's also been on the show, um, we loved Spawn. Chad had all the toys, which we'll get to in a minute. But I had the box of comics with yeah, the, each one of them in, lots, a, hard, in yeah. a hardback sleeve yeah. in order. You want to see? You want to see a kid get mad? Take it out and don't put it back. Yeah. By the way, I'm an accountant now. If that helps you understand my personality. <laughs> but the, so we were. We loved Spawn and. What a fucking letdown! Oh, for real though, and, and you're right about it. they had all the pieces were there. Yeah. You know, but, but I, I really feel what happened here was the same thing that happened with a lot of studio movies with, that had to do with superheroes was large budget, zero creativity. <laughs> zero creativity. They didn't really understand what made the characters work, and yeah. what makes Marvel work is the fact that the studio is the comics company. They they really have a firm grasp on what really makes superheroes tick. And that's why the DC movies still kind of suck balls. Yeah, and it's it's not the, it's not because you know the DC characters are bad. It's because it's you know the studios are just have a really hard time figuring out how to get more than one hero into the same universe and making that universe well, yeah. work. And Warner Brothers, uh, who I believe is uh, owns DC stuff. Yep, that's right. Um, they seem to be at least from like interviews and stories and everything that I've read. They they seem to be people that are like, uh, oh, like. We own this story now. We're going to get the best people. And the best people means like they're going to find writers who are not appropriate for it. They're going to find cinematographers who are not appropriate for it. And then they're going to make these movies. And like it, this is again, yeah, we are bad at staying on subject. um, I bet. It's it's not you. I I hear your other podcasts. You're really good about keeping (laughs) me on task. And I am the worst because I I am just Mr. Branch Topic. Branch Topic. Well, (laughs) that's what this is. But it relates back to this because that's probably exactly what happened. That's right. Um, So there's, I don't know if you've ever seen this. And listeners, I don't know if you know this. But there was a, a DVD, and I think it's been like three now. But it's called An Evening with Kevin Smith, where Kevin Smith just like goes to colleges and does Q&A. And he tells a story because he got hired to write for Superman. Is this the spider story? It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell the whole story. But yeah, he gets hired to write for Superman. And so they pair him up with this producer that Warner Brothers got. Because Warner Brothers like, we have to have the best people. So they got this producer whose movies like had won awards. But turns out, producers aren't writers and they're fucking nutcases. Yeah. So he goes and he's pitching his idea for Superman. And if you know anything, like, regardless what you think about Jane Silent Bob or whatever, if you know anything about Kevin Smith's writing talent, like, he's really fucking talented. So he pitches, like, the spider, or this uh, Superman idea, and the guy's like, oh, no, what else? I think Superman's got to, like, fight a polar bear. And, and then, oh, it's like, no, what about, you know what the greatest enemy is in all of nature? He's like, spiders. spiders. Like, Superman's got to fight spiders. <laughs> and so Kevin Smith, like, drops out. He's like, 
you know, I can't, this guy's insane, I can't do this. And I think the part that he, that, that he mentioned that always stuck with me over the years as to what Kevin Smith got is uh, they were going to bring in, I think, Tim Burton at one yeah. point yeah, to yeah, this yeah, project. Yeah. And look, Tim Burton is a freaking genius. Yeah. Like, I love, there's literally no movie that I'm going to watch that's a Tim Burton movie that I'm going to I hate this. Some of them are just like, it's a yeah. little weird, I'm, I'm not really into it, but I've never been like, I hate He's it. He's got scissors for hands. Right. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> At one point, uh, Kevin Smith has this anecdote where he's like, they bring it in Tim Burton, who's this brilliant director, but he's not right for Superman because what's Tim Burton talking about? He's like, I want to show Superman's dark side, his murderous side. And Kevin Smith's just like, Superman is Superman. He does not have a murderous side. That is the point. (laughs) But the spider thing, so this guy goes on to produce a movie called Wild Wild West. And One of the re- greatest films made in the last thirty years. If you remember the villain from that, it is uh, the the handicapped man in the gigantic mechanical spider. But now we can contrast this to do you take for example Marvel? Like when Marvel did the the Avengers movie, who did they hire as their writer? It was Joss Whedon because they understood that it's like, what do you really need here? You need somebody who understands how to put an ensemble movie together and do it really well with respect for the characters or respect for the background. And Marvel managed every step of that process. Yeah. Right, and, uh, and and so if if you want sort of what the genesis of bad superhero movies was, and you know, Spawn. <laughs> it was it was basically Spawn. That was yeah. a, I mean, you had because you had some of the Batman movies come out, and they were pretty good one off because they were Tim Burton movies and that yeah. sort of thing. You had some of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, so it's not like the the superhero formula was not uh, was not pretty. At least what at least the ground had been broken. It out can of, be right? good, yeah. It can be good, point. yeah. But if you want, like, for the modern era, like, what is the genesis of bad superhero movies, like some of the later Batman movies, it was pretty much the Spawn movie. Yeah. It came It came out, basically it said, look, we've got this this IP, we're going to change a lot of things about the character to make it good, we're not going to really respect the material, we're not going to respect the background, we're just going to throw a bunch of kind of a pastiche of, of surface things that we think will work well with it, and it just did not work. The whole yeah. movie, the whole movie was was a pile of burning garbage, and uh, there, I, I'm trying to think of any redeeming factors of it, and I, I cannot think of one. No, except John uh, Leguizamo, yeah, eating a, eating, a, eating, a, eating a maggot covered pizza. It, I, that does stick with me. Yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> we all have different senses of humor. Um, <laughs> no, the the saddest part of this that I found out when I was researching this. Um, Nicole Williamson, who is is the guy that plays Cogliostro. Yeah. Because he's Nicole. Yeah. Uh, what, French? Yeah. Uh, Sounds about right, yeah. So if he's w- like this... Williamson, it's going to be French or like Nederlander neither or something. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's an old guy when he's playing that. And he's, uh, he's this hugely respected, like, Shakespearean European actor... And Spawn is the last movie he does before he dies. Yeah, it's and sad. it's not that he died like two years later either. He died in 2011, which means he did Spawn and like, just never worked again. Because here's the deal, you guys. Like, it if, sucks. When you're, when, when you're watching this movie, you need to realize, too, that uh, you know for angsty 14-year-olds, which we all were when we were reading these books... Like these, these really awesome. spoke to a lot of of, of the things that uh, you know. It, 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 straight up, like I get it, angsty fourteen year olds, you know, skulls and chains, and you know, murderous homeless people, you know that, like it. Murderous homeless. <laughs> well, remember, on, we, we took a turn. Remember the spawn. Remember, was, we used to murder homeless people. <laughs> no, murder us, not murdering. Because uh, remember, spawn was lived with the homeless during this time, and they uh, routinely yeah. take revenge on people who abuse the homeless. Yeah. Like, that was as well. You should that was part Rise of his up, people. 
And that was part of, that was supposed to be part of the conceit too. He's like the anti-Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne lived in a big mansion and was this rich fucker. Yeah. And Spawn basically lived amongst the trash. Yeah. That was, that was part of the coolness of it. Anti-hero. Anti-hero. So cool. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, a lot of us who read this, you know, it had a lot of impact on our, our young lives, right? And it did for me anyway. Yeah. Like, I, re- I really like this character. I really like that. It. It's like, look, he was, he was a, he was a guy who devoted his life to his country, you know, special forces guy, and, you know, did anything he could to get back to his family and was willing to, you know... That yeah, whole he had all the redeeming qualities of a good character, and then he got fucked. And he got <laughs> fucked by, the, by basically a sub-devil. Yeah. You know, it's a good way to think of it. And, and because, just like to clear up too, because we didn't touch on this, the only reason he went to hell... Is because it's part of his black ops stuff, as you may know with other military people. Yeah. I, they're all listening. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but uh, innocent people get killed. That's right. Absolutely right. And and you know, it, 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 it's there's a lot of. And I, I, to this day, I still don't respect the theme of moral ambiguity. Yeah, there, there, and there's a lot of that. There's in there. a lot of that in these books. And then you watch this flick, you know, that comes out, and it really is like you want to you want to talk about glossing over some <laughs> themes that you know were really important to you as a kid, and just be like, "But we're gonna make a motorcycle out of a cape, <laughs> and it's gonna look like hot trash, but it's still a motorcycle made out of a cape." Like that's pretty much what you get in this week. Oh, also, as far as plot points also, go, real quick, yes. real quick, and even. As a, a 14 or 15 year old, however old I was when this came out. So, one of the conceits of the movie is that Martin Sheen is the director of the CIA and evil. Um, and uh, in order to make sure that nobody assassinates him, gets a sensor implanted into his heart that if his heart stops, will release poisonous gas all over the planet. Oh my god, I forgot about that. So let's think about this for a second, ladies and gentlemen. He, clear, he created a doomsday device for his own... Pulse. Now I know a little bit about how game theory works, and one of those things is you basically have to tell everybody what you've just done. Now I want you to imagine a world where who's the director of the CIA? Team? Let's just say it's Mike Pompeo or something, for, just for kicks. Uh, let's just say Mike Pompeo, who's Secretary of State now, gets up and announces that he has implanted a doomsday device in his heart so that if he ever dies, basically the world will end. I want you to imagine a world where anybody <laughs> would consider okay. this anyone would consider this a good idea, and I think the part of the, the, the part of the movie well, sector say got a car accident. <laughs> That's <or> right. <laughs> so now we all get to die slowly and painfully because the secretary of state basically doesn't know how to stop drinking when he needs to drive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was one of the let conti- that be a lesson. That, don't drink and drive. People. And so then the plot of hell is in order to feed the armies of hell. They're going to murder the director of the CIA, who also incidentally murdered Spawn uh, before he died, before he went to hell. And so I, I'm watching this, I'm just like, this is the dumbest fucking plot you could yeah. ever put together. It's like, what? It's you great. had a plot. Like, it was literally written and had pictures with it about what needed to happen. How do you fuck this up? <laughs> it, it did. It had, <laughs> you, had, you had pre-made storyboards. That's right. <laughs> In the form of comic books. Now, I'm not saying you could just transfer from one medium to another, because you definitely can't. But you could still take but you all could the, try. <laughs> you could try pretty hard. You could take the over, overarching themes, and you could take the major plot points and translate You don't have to add something like Doomsday Device, if the planet CIA director's heart, and if you ever dies and the whole planet dies like that that was never in the fucking comics that was just something that just got but i mean it should have been no i'm just kidding because i I feel because but i feel like what was happening there is exactly what you said 
is if some producer got in and was like, we need to raise the stakes. Yeah. What if Spawn <laughs> has to save the world? Yeah. But that was one of the things about Spawn I really liked. He was never saving the world. Yeah. He was always just trying to save himself and maybe a couple friends. That's because anyone, when you get people involved on a level of, of the amount of money involved for a budget and you get those producers involved for like, I mean, nowadays it's like $300 million movies. They don't have the, they're not like, Oh, human interest story. They're like, yeah. how big can we go? That's right. You've always got to be trying to save the world. But that yeah. was what made Spawn great is that it was it was an intensely personal story that also was yeah. interspersed with him, you know, kicking the shit out of demons. So awesome. I'm yeah. into it. Because those demons were also like his demons. Like literally the violator was his demon. That was the purpose of the violator. Oh, the violator we will get into in a minute yeah. because uh, as the film failed in 1997, um, in May of 97, a couple months before the film opened... A uh, new series was released on HBO that actually became a redeeming quality for Spawn altogether. And we'll get to that after this song. We're back. <laughs> so, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, I don't know if I knew this either because I'm just trying to change the subject from what just happened on the break. So, uh, the film did terrible, but just before that, uh, someone else that cashed in on the rights to put it into film or television was HBO. Uh, at the same time that things like Oz were playing on HBO and late night HBO was like really good television, but also super risque, um, they picked up spawn as an animated series and it was called todd mcfarland spawn and we were just discussing this because it was literally just on when i started the podcast uh todd mcfarland would himself would introduce every episode in a very like trent reznor fucking neo-gothic and i want to say you know trent reznor to his credit can get on screen and appear gothic and still be pretty cool about it yeah this looks like a guy who saw a trent reznor music video and was like that's so fucking cool that's what i need and it did not go well he's and what i think what i what i what i didn't like and i want to be clear the Spawn TV series was everything that the so movie was good. not supposed to be. Right, so it was, good. everything in the movie was not. It was it, it stayed true to the characters. It really understood the, the personal struggles and explored them. You know, it was it was it, it was really good. But it also had an introduction of to, of Todd McFarlane basically telling you what the what the underlying theme of the show was, yeah. which is based. So Spawn Each episode would be like, you ever been uh, wondering if you went to hell and you had to make a decision in three seconds about what you would do if they said they could bring you back and you had to say yes or no? Why are you waiting? You have to answer right now. Spawn didn't write answer. That's right. And Spawn's, and he was like, always just talk about something. And Spawn's learning this right now. And let me be clear. Todd McFarlane created an excellent comic book, yeah. excellent toy company. Todd McFarlane should not be on camera. <laughs> Todd, Todd McFarlane is not a charismatic dude. Like he, I, as as he's opening his mouth and talking, I've, I've actually, I, I, you know, saw Todd McFarlane in person because he signed what? he signed one of my comics at one point. I waited in line and everything. Where? Uh, I forget where it was. It's some comic shop, but I had him sign one of my Spawn comics. I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. But uh, but no, like even then, not a charismatic dude. Uh, not a dude you'd be like, this is a guy I really want to go out and have some beers with. This he he just he just seems kind of like 
nerdily broody. Yeah. Nerdily broody. Nerdily broody. <laughs> not not Natalie Brandy, but yeah. nerdily broody. Um, <laughs> That's what you can and this is this actually relates to something I was going to bring up earlier, so I'm just going to jump back one second, then I want to go over this TV series. But issue number nine that brought together uh, Angela Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn, and then issue number ten, who brought uh, a random appearance of this old Warner Brothers cartoon character, um, both of those resulted in lawsuits. Neil Gaiman was the guy's name. Neil Gaiman, who was a co-creator of Angela Cogliostro and, and Medieval Spawn, all uh, three of sued Todd McFarlane. Very, yeah, it all thought, and let's be clear too: when they sued, all him, three were great characters. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's not like Neil Gaiman came up with some bullshit characters and decided yeah. he got to use his pains and a twist about it. It's oh no! Yeah, the lawsuit didn't even happen until two thousand one because he's like, "You've made so much money off these characters." Like for real, like Neil Gaiman comes in, he's like, "I'm going to take this pretty good idea you have with Spawn, and I'm going to take it in a completely different direction, and yeah. I'm going to show you what can be done with it." And yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was yeah. pretty fucking good. So he uh, he sued Todd McFarlane um, for rights to the characters because he co-created them. Todd McFarlane appealed it three times, lost all three appeals, and uh, probably rightfully so. And, and well, I think and I think part of it is that before Neil Gaiman decided to come on and do guest writing, Neil Gaiman is not some kind of was at this point we're not some kind of like fresh fish in yeah. the uh, in the field of creative uh, creative endeavor it probably had a really good fucking contract yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and then number 10 number 10 was just a, a stupid blowout where they they used this old it all, I don't know what how to describe the character and I can't think of his it's name. A mafioso. It's it's, no, no, Celios or Celius or something. It's a Warner it's an old Warner Brothers cartoon character like a rejected Warner Brothers cartoon character, and they put it in issue ten of Spawn. Wow, really? And they got in a shit ton of legal trouble for it. Wow, that's all a new one on me. <laughs> yeah, um, and so if you get any of the collections where they like now, like Walking Dead, for instance, if you want, you just buy book one, and it has like the first ten comics in it or whatever, or graphic novels or whatever you want to call it. Um, if you buy any of the Spawn ones. Issues nine and ten are only in one of them. The other ones they don't exist because wow, so they sad. skip right over them because of the lawsuits involved. Because straight up, guys, like if you're reading Spawn and you don't have at least number nine, I, I can't speak number ten. It's not really jumping out at me as like particularly memorable, yeah. but it's worth money if you want some of the Spawn yeah. comics. Worth money. Nine and ten are the yeah. ones. Oh god, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept that stupid tabulated hardback box. But jumping back uh, from the film to the television series. Um, Todd McFarlane's Spawn ran from May of 97 to May of 99. It was on late night HBO. And this is where uh, we did the comics like me and Mike were talking about earlier. But me and my friend Chad would go over to Mike's house. And we would, because he had HBO. And we were all reading the comics. And we would watch this. And it wasn't until like, it was 11 30 no, or 12. No, it was on 11 30 12. But, but at that point, uh, my parents had basically given up on me. Uh, so, <laughs> at, uh, you know, if, if I be. It, if I I wouldn't even say like I'm going to stay up late tonight. It's like you guys would come over and they would just naturally assume that we were not going to just go to bed. Yeah. It was just not going to happen. Um, and uh, but one of the things to remember though is like Oz is one of the pre pre like pre what's the word I'm looking for like primogenitors. One of the original like, like hardcore disease. series. On uh, on HBO, like before, there was such a thing as like Game of Thrones and you know, well, yeah, because the HBO was the original. They were like, it's not television, it's, it's HBO. HBO. <laughs> like before, Tits and Dragons, yeah. uh, or Game of Thrones, I think you guys call yeah. it. Uh, well, even be, even <laughs> before, no, even before like Six Feet Under, yeah. Even, but like, I mean, Oz was 
uh, Sex and the City and Oz came out around that's, the same time. That's right, but concurrent with that was Spawn, the yeah. animated series. And Spawn was so good. Which was so good because, look, at this point, like as we were becoming teenagers, like the Japanese were already doing like adult cartoons. Yeah. But that was not a thing. Yeah, this side. was, no, this was like uh, the first soiree into animated. And it was, I mean, it was a great show. And I've re- I've rewatched a couple episodes recently, like still, and it, it it's still yeah, well. it still holds up. But it was it was animated in that like choppy, um, like you you zoom out on a still of a frame and only like the mouth moves or the tears yeah. fall. Um, but that holds true to the the feeling that you're supposed to get when you're reading the comics. So it actually worked out really well that they animated it that way. But then it was also the first animated comic or animated show in America, to the best of my knowledge, and I may be wrong, but America-made American show that, like, had fucking yes. boobs they, uh, and blood. They had, I mean, it was it was a graphic, brutal, violent, sexual show. So again, for for fourteen-year-old us, fifteen-year-old <laughs> yes. us, it was it was it was amazing because it had all these things that really got us interested, but. Again, I'm just gonna keep throwing it out there from a, from a story point of view. Like there were some there were some themes there that were good, and, and unlike the movie, yeah. the show was much better about exploring those themes. And in case you missed those themes, Todd McFarlane will be happy to explain it to you in the, <laughs> the intro to every of episode. episode. <laughs> um, one one character that that we haven't really talked about much, and you, you touched on it uh, before we took a break. But uh, we should have talked more about it because it's like one of the best characters. Uh, the Violator. The Violator. The Violator. Also known as Clown. Um, so do you? I mean, you'll know better than me. What is so? Is he just a demon? Yeah. So basically, the uh, and then and a couple of the offshoot comics. So like like a lot of comics, you know, like you have Spider Man, then you have the Amazing Spider Man. Well, because he's the guy that's always like. Egging him on, he's like, yeah. yeah, do that, Spawn. Well, he says, so, so, like we talked about before, you know, Spawn's got a power meter. Yeah. Violator's basic goal was to get him to use up that power. Okay. So, that that he would, so that he would come back to yeah, hell. Yeah, Violator's like so number it, it, one working for Malbosia. That's right. So, he basically, Violator, you can imagine, is just this really, first of all, from a design point of view, you're looking at this dude. He is a creepy looking dude. <laughs> like, you do not want this motherfucker coming at you in a back Well, because in, in human form, he is this. Like in comics and in the film and in the animated series, like it's he like is a this hobo clown. Yeah, hobo clown. He, but like fat obese, hobo clown. yes, morbidly <laughs> obese, fat clown with like demon eyes. Which is weird because that's what we all became when we got hit our thirties. But <laughs> what happened? I was promised something better. But um, uh, imagine but, that voiced by John Leguizamo, and you have the entire. But then when he becomes this demon, he becomes like this. If you can imagine, like he took the head of a great white shark. Put a put three horns on it, which were which were oddly shaped, and then uh, and then made made his body just like super skinny, and also he loves ripping the hearts out of people. Like who doesn't? And, Am and I right? I, and, I, and I and I say that literally, like it, that was like his mo is that he would rip people's hearts out and then eat them. Yeah, and his demon form, where he would like turn into the creature violator, yep. was the coolest. It was dense. like he had those weird side horns That's that came right. out. So, um, so, uh, and, but, but yeah, yeah. So to, to answer your earlier question, the, the the conceit of the character was that he was uh, he was this basically servant of the Malbolgia, yeah. which the movie fucked up as well because then they tried to make him like a competitor for Spawn. I'm not. Also, you know what? Like the movie when 
like just discredit to its time when he goes to hell like the whole process of him of spawn going to hell and talking to malboja the cgi was at that turning point of like real fucking bad and then real fucking good and he was in the real fucking bad genre and again i want to i want to just just to put into perspective to the audience how bad the cgi was all of us have seen the remastered Star Wars movies, where it is yeah. blatantly obvious yeah. when Fuck the you, Jabba, wh- that, yeah, wh- that where conversation the didn't happen. <laughs> Solo, Solo. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, that spawn, the Spawn movie was a cut budget version made yeah, at the so same bad. time period as these new remastered it Star was Wars so movies, bad. and they, it's bad. Guys, he get, guys he goes down to hell and I've it's just seen, like, and it's just like oh I like Toy Story looks better yeah. than this. Oh, <laughs> music videos in '92 looked better than that when they did like weird fucking I want my MTV shit. But so the but the series ran um, for three seasons. There were six episodes a season, which was crazy because it seemed so much longer. But then again, so did the drive to my friend's house when I was like ten. Yeah, and, um, and that was part of it too. Is it, it was kind of an event for us because you have to remember this was before on-demand viewing, so we had to time this yeah. shit. So Someone that mentioned that the, um, during Dawson's Creek episode a couple weeks ago, we were talking about they were like, "How do we think coordinate schedule?" Well, I don't think people understood <laughs> that you can't you like even TiVo was new. For that was a long not a time. thing, and we did not have TiVo. Yeah, you was... cannot rewind, fast forward, or record. Yes, if, if, at best you could do it on VHS, and there's so there was a lot of <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm trying to watch. Yes. But no, like uh, Chad and Justin would come over to the house, yeah. and uh, we would all draw different comic characters that we all came up with ourselves. So badly because Mike's Mike's uh, mom and his sisters were very artistic and had all sorts of art supplies, and, and so I we'd end not. up like. So bad. Uh, we would end up penning and inking all these all these different comics that we came up with. What was your your guy with that? I don't know, Potter Toastman, no, something like that. that. How dare you steal from Ren and Stimpy? <laughs> we did an episode. The people know. Um, now, uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it because I have drawings of it that you made. I'm I'm sure they're atrocious. By the way, kids, if you're out there, no, Mike was a good Mike was a good comic drawer. Don't listen to what he's saying. If if you're out there and you actually want to be good at something, find someone who's already good at them and ask them to teach you. Don't just try to figure. Find someone that's already yourself. good at them and buy them. That's right. Buy them. Just buy them. <laughs> um, but Spawn ran for three seasons, uh, six episodes, season eighteen episodes. They did. So I want to see these just because I want to know what they cut out. Um, they released these as two-hour animated films each season. But if you do the math. Um, there's three hours per season, so they cut out an hour of each season. Which might be good, because if I remember correctly, too, the... the I mean, there's recap, there's the introduction. Yeah, the introduction, <laughs> but I also remember, as I'm watching these, is the, the plots would drag a bit. Like, uh, you could belabor the themes yeah. a little bit too deeply in the comic, and you wouldn't have to spend as much time brooding as, uh, <laughs> as you, uh, uh, you know, in each episode as they, as they actually chose to do. But, again, I, I want to reemphasize that from... From a from a staying true to the comics point of view, from being true to the uh, to the actual things that made the comics good and, and made them appeal to us, yeah. like the, the animated series did a fantastic job. Yeah, like, yeah it's so good. Check guys, it out. So that's that's actually my last bullet point too. Is it is currently available on HBO Go because uh, two years ago they added it on there because it is an HBO original series. So we can watch it like on demand. Yeah, like you and you Chad can could just it. come over whenever and we can just hang out. It'll be awesome. That would be super fun. <laughs> it would be. Uh, what is that? Hold on. 18 episode, nine hours. We could we could do this in a day. We could watch the entire it could series. Be. We'll take a break for me to put my babies to bed. And <laughs> Your babies are dead. Yeah. 
Okay. Wait, uh, what? Yeah, shit took a dark turn. <laughs> Sorry, wow. it's, a, it's a spawn episode. It's spawn episode. Um, dark. Everything's broody. So another thing Todd McFarlane did that I want to talk about in a minute is uh, something else, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, before we move on, uh, just two quick notes. The Spawn movie was good for one thing and one thing only, and that was the soundtrack that it produced, um, especially for Chad. Our friend Chad was... Uh, he was already leaning in that yeah, direction. Yeah, well, he was always <laughs> like... Uh, he was he he was a big uh, a big fan of the 90s grunge rock Nirvana Soundgarden thing, but then he got into Korn, and... <laughs> it was all downhill from there. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's when he listened to his first Nine Inch Nails album, or should I say... Uh, Probably watch his first Nine Inch Nails music video that he was just like... Either one of those, yeah. The identity flowing <laughs> through this music video is one with my soul. Well, so Spawn, uh, on the soundtrack, whoever did the soundtrack, I probably should look that up, but they they did a really unique thing that I don't think it might have been done, and if it has been, you know what, email me and let me know, but you guys don't typically do that, so I'm going to say it's never been done before. Okay. <laughs> um, they took... Uh, collaborations from every band so instead of like getting songs from different bands they did collaborations and very specific collaborations oh shit sorry i'm looking at a score yeah, of the it's, game right it now. was rock and techno uh, right yeah Basically, so they yeah. took a hard rock band like uh marilyn manson or filter or corn or uh henry rollins is even on the soundtrack um <laughs> And then they'd mix them with an electronica band like uh, Sneaker Pimps, Dust Brothers, Dust Brothers, who did the entire soundtrack for uh, Fight Club, except for the Pixie song, and uh, Moby, Goldie. They and every song is a collaboration of the two bands, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I want to be clear: to this day, I have a favorites playlist, like everybody does. One of the songs on this is Crystal Method and Filter Trip Like I Do. So good. It and that was, I'll, I'll tell you right so now. so fucking good. I haven't edited this, but that will be the opening song of this podcast. Oh, thank you. No, it's a, it, it is still, it's still like right in the middle of my favorites playlist because there's never a time that that song comes on that it's just like here, what 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 you know, that, 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 what you're going to hear on the opening of this, uh, this yeah, podcast. Yeah, great. Uh, you know what? You're going to hear soon, it at the closing too. As soon, <laughs> as soon as I hear it, I'm just like, this song just gets my blood pumping. It is fantastic. It's it, it, It's a great song and then you have uh, Marilyn Manson Long Hard Road Out of Hell which is another fucking great, great song. song and you won't hear Michael O'Brien say Marilyn Manson songs are really fucking great they're not they're, as far as I'm concerned uh, there's only two great Marilyn Manson songs it's the new shit and uh, and this song those are the only two I ever really cared I don't even for. know that first one this is so. the new shit stand up and admit <laughs> I uh good for you see I'm, I'm happy about it I'm sorry Oh, you're just surprised. You're surprised that I like a Marilyn Manson song. That's what this is. Oh wait, are you watching the fucking Lions score while we're talking about Spawn? How dare you, sir? How dare you? The Lions won um, <laughs> by one point. And so the soundtrack was amazing, and and, yeah, it, it, and legit, Justin's not wrong. It was the only good thing that came out of that movie. Like if if, if you never saw the movie but just listened to the soundtrack, you are getting probably some of the best night. And, the, and what's funny is like this soundtrack. That kind of set the tone for a lot of soundtracks to follow about what makes a good soundtrack. Like you can pick up the Matrix soundtrack, and you're going to see a lot of collaborations on that one too. It was oh, the same. Deal. I got to do a Matrix episode. I'm into it, man. Oh no! Another great. Movie. Anyway, uh, but so Todd McFarlane, 
let me let me be clear as, as if it weren't clear enough between lawsuits and everything Mike said so far. Todd McFarlane's kind of an asshole. <laughs> He's kind of an asshole, but I want to say this too. Like he he had a very clear idea of how to make a business out of what he was doing. Oh, he's super he talented. He's just kind of an like, asshole. It's not some kind of cosmic coincidence that within like two years of him starting Spawn, that there was a TV show, a movie, and we're probably about to talk about the toy line. But that like guys, he he knew how to merchandise, sell rights for. He knew the value of his creative characters yeah. that he was creating. So, so uh, that that branches right into what I was going to say is. Uh, the toy line, and that's McFarland toys. You may have, may, you may not have ever heard of, but I guarantee you've seen them uh, from anywhere from like Target stores to eBay auctions or anywhere else. Uh, I think we, even with all the like genius animation and comic, like this guy's clearly an artistic, creative genius. Uh, he was able to completely change the game in toy design and action figures. Uh, just by essentially adding detail, because I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew this beforehand, but most toys, I mean, even like Star Wars original toys in the seventies, uh, are essentially a, one company steals a design from another company, modifies a couple things like the arm sockets, and then they re-release them and they color them and paint them differently, and then they're all of a sudden different store toys, and they, that's GI Joe became something else, some failed uh, design became Star Wars toys. There's a whole history in this. Like, check it out on Netflix if you want. But and not only that, but it, I think it's important to keep in mind that, like, if you go to toys from like the early '90s and before, yeah, it's not like these are like super detailed, really yeah. intricate toys. Like, they <laughs> these toys are basically just like two black globes for eyes on a piece of barely molded plastic, yeah. and the arms, you know, the, the arms will barely move. And if you remember, like, what the Star Wars toys were like for the mid toys, especially, you could tell what they did is they took some generic bodybuilder wrestler type. Yeah, like remember Luke Skywalker. Walker, oh, who had who had like pecs like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> <laughs> for real. Like you look at this guy, yeah. like Mark Hamill was not a big dude. Yeah, who I will say this, this guy? and I, I always like to tell people that no one pays for this, but I promote stuff anyway. On Netflix, there's a series called The Toys That Made Us, and they go through how like they there's a I think there's a Star Wars toys, there's a GI Joe one, and they go through like from the idea the concept to like where we're at today with those toys yeah. and but the basic it's true and, and they just everybody robs someone else and right. changes one thing but even darth vader like you have darth vader he's like this beefy motherfucker and it's just yeah. like darth vader was not a pro wrestler yeah. who wore a black suit give me a break <laughs> you guys but so i mean so so you understand the context of the times is yeah. that basically you had all these we'll just throw it against the wall because you're gonna buy it anyway shut the fuck yeah. up 14 year old michael oh Ryan. yeah as long <laughs> as as long as it's painted like the character that you liked in the movie That's you right. will buy this toy so then mcfarlane um, toys comes and yeah so mcfarlane uh starts making spawn toys first and they're some of the most intricately detailed action figures you will ever see and some as a, as some as a kid playing with toys it's almost frustrating cuz like you can't move the parts as much as you'd want to because it ruins the completely perfect design now i don't want to make this geopolitical but uh -oh. i'm going to for just a second i want you to think about global warming well no I mean, think <laughs> of, th think about what time period that these became real popular it was like between 94 and 96 right yeah 
China had just opened up to world trade. Shit just got real. No, I mean, for for real, that's what happened. All these toys, because McCrone published it in the back of one of his uh, his comic books. is like, this is the production line. It's all Chinese people. That's basically what happened is, is that suddenly now cheap mass production at a very high quality was available through the Chinese supply chain. And McFarlane was one of the very McFarlane Toys was one of the very first companies to build a supply chain for high quality toys through China. That's like crazy. you want to talk about what what a, what a business genius this guy is. Yeah. Like from that perspective, you don't have a lot of fucking toy companies outsourcing to China at this point, and you don't have a lot of toy companies, especially realizing the kind of quality you could pull out of that country at this time. And McFarlane was doing it. Yeah, that's nuts. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Um, and, that, and it really just came down to making different molds. Yeah. Like, instead of using the molds that people have been using. That's right. Absolutely right. Like, make something else and just have it be much more detailed. And, but the, then and the, these toys weren't the cheap either. Like, I remember. No, 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 no. Like, it, it, they, were, they were. So, your typical action figure uh, ranged from, like, uh, four to six inches. Like, your Star Wars and your G.I. Joe and Mask and that sort of crap. Uh Spawn was kind of lean, like your GI Joe started as twelve inch, and then Spawn came back around. Those were probably nine, ten inch figures. That's right. Yep. And they were what fifteen to thirty dollars, depending on which one you got. Yeah. So if you got like the Violator figure, which was this huge, and this know, is like mid late nineties. Yeah. So that's you, a lot of money. Today, today's hour is practically sort of fifty bucks a model. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you're looking at these dudes, and uh, like when Justin says they're detailed, it, you know, it's it, you can't imagine. Like uh, if you can imagine, like base coating, layering, dry brushing, like all that was done on these guys, and it's for real. Like they look good. Like these are if if. if if you had told mid '90s us that these were ceramic models that were hand painted and you put them on a shelf, like yeah. you probably could have sold a few of us on yeah. it. Like it looked pretty good. Yeah, the, and the toys were—I mean, they were so good that they essentially like kind of set a standard for even even people as big as like GI Joe because they still make GI Joes today, but They're you won't find yeah. yeah you won't find GI Joes without like noticeable <laughs> facial features. <laughs> Um, McFarland Toys set a standard and they picked up contracts from everybody. Like he made, he, well, uh, Todd McFarland did a, a series of horror movie toys, which had like, like Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. And, and they were, I mean, you think Freddy Krueger, it's, it's October. It's a perfect time to talk about this, but you think Freddy Krueger and like the, the burn marks on his face and stuff like the, the iconic, uh, Ro- oh God, Robert, uh, the hell's his name that's gonna drive me nuts i usually know it because i'm a horror movie crazy person um but the guy that played freddy Krueger and the makeup and everything like that they capture every single detail it's as if they took him and just like miniaturized him without losing any clarity of the detail and did a horror movie face picked up kiss action figures if you've ever seen simpsons action figures austin powers action figures from the 90s um, more recently, if you've ever been in like any Target store and seen Walking Dead action figures, those are all Todd McFarlane designs. Those are all McFarlane toys. Uh, the the detail there, like the strands of hair. I mean, the stuff that they put into this is absolutely insane. Which I think I read later is actually why Todd stepped back from the day to day of the Spawn comic book. Is that the toy business for him was becoming, so good, so, becoming such a big part of his yeah. life, and it, it was. It's, he was. He was so he was so far and away much better than every other toy company yeah. out there. Um, and remember, like he he basically started this being like, look, I'm basically just going to do a contract with a couple suppliers in China, and I'm just going to say here are what the specifications are, and the fact that they could produce it is really what made him special and unique. Yeah. 
And he was like, look, we're going to charge a premium for them, which was not a thing at the time. Like, even even back then, you know, you want to buy some G.I. Joes, it's going to be five bucks for a bucket. Like, that, that, that that's the basic model, right? Yeah. So, uh, so when Farm was like, no, like, these are basically going to be collector pieces by another name, and you may not actually want to, like, ram them into each other because they just look so good. Yeah. You know, it was, that was, that was different. That was a different take on what toys could be. Much like Spawn was a different take on what a comic could be. Yeah. It wasn't designed just to be like, hey, here's some really colorful characters who have, you know, kind of plastic morals that, you know, kind of throw up against each other. It's good and evil, and that is what it is. It's going to be some ambiguity. It's going to be dark. It's going to be a little weird. Yeah. It's, going to, it's not going to be quite what you expect. You know, yeah, that was it's, it's universal. Everything that's kind of spun off of the idea of Spawn has has kind of set a new standard for how things can and possibly should be done. Man, I'm really glad you picked Spawn as my topic because now I get to talk about moral ambiguity, which <laughs> is probably my favorite thing. <laughs> well, yeah, Spawn. I mean, that's we we've hung out and done a lot of things, and we could sit here and talk about. Uh, the character I still can't remember. Mike used to constantly draw the same comic book character, and he had a whole thing about it. And his his logo would always be the guy like floating, and his hand, his fist would be up like this, and he'd have the swirls drawn around his fist because he was doing some like power fist. And I very I, well I, could I, be. I know I'm saying this and describing it, and no one can see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was not a good artist, you guys. Still, still, it's still, not still true. Not. If you liked Mike, knew anime before anime was anime. It's true. Did I? Not intentionally, but if uh, if I look uh, like I have old yearbook signings and stuff, and if you look about like how he drew eyes and like stuff, he was doing anime before anime was anime. I must have been influenced by something, but drugs. Uh, it was all drugs. It was, it was all drugs. He was like, smoking was crack LSD at fourteen. <laughs> in the fifth grade, I was on LSD. <laughs> but it's uh yeah, it's it set a new precedent, absolutely. Um, and as far as moral ambig- ambiguity goes, uh. This was it. I mean, the, the, for real, though, if, if there was one thing that I had to point out about what Spawn brought... Like, look, guys, we were 14. There was a lot of adolescent bullshit in these comics. There's a lot of adolescent bullshit in this show. And if you watch it, you're like, why does he think this is good? It's, it's one thing. It Because it it's awesome? Yeah, because it brought one major thing to how, I, how, how fiction was told to, to me as a young man. It was like, look, shit's not always black and white. You know, and I really, I really appreciated that about these books when I was reading them. It was just like, you know, this is real life is not always as simple as look. You got the good guys and the bad guys, and ne'er the twain shall meet, right? Yeah, and I'm gonna dumb it down even more and say, Mike was always the smart one that actually read books and stuff, so he got that <laughs> a lot more than than I may have. And uh, for me, oh no, for, at, at the time I was just like tits. I love tits. <laughs> you guys see the storyline, tits. <laughs> I was but out no, it was it was true. just such a. Uh, I mean, think about that. You think of Marvel now. Like, let's put this in today's perspective. You have this multi-billion-dollar franchise that fucking Disney purchased, oh, and real. still doesn't even like really put their name on it. They're still like, no, it's Marvel. That says a lot in itself. Yeah. And you have someone that worked for them is like, I'm going to just go start my own company. Yeah. <laughs> and in the right. comic world, like Marvel was as big to me as a like 12 year old as it is to you in the general public today. Like Marvel was everything. So the fact that like 
this new comic company started, Image Comics, and you couldn't even get them at every store. Like, you had to shop around at first. Well, some people were, like, actually morally offended, right, yeah. that, that, that these these comics were clearly not for kids. But that was the fucking point. Yeah. These comics just, are not for children. It started a brand new thing. Like, just to, to, to bring it all back, like, because uh, we, we were comic book heads, and comics were were the fucking best and if you didn't read comics like it's not too late because the actual i got a comic from my nephew and decided to not give it to him because i was like oh this is fucking this is pretty intense this is intense there are like, dull thieves in there it's more than fucking drawing just ripped someone's heart out <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i mean i've been, I've been talking about fucking venom Oh, like, for real? That's right. The storylines like are intense, and there's a lot of it's a lot of writing, and it's the same thing as uh, what Did turned into like graphic novels, which were just essentially long comic books. Yeah. Um, so it, it it really set a precedent, and Spawn was a huge part of my childhood, uh, alongside Mike because we were doing it at the same time. Yeah. It's good times. Those were good times. And I'm happy to have shared this with all of you. Sons of bitches. You got any other uh, things to throw in? The only thing else I'm going to say is it's not that different today as it was then. Like, if you look at the... The only difference today is that, you know, when we were coming up, it was comic books. Today, it's the movies. Like, I talked to my nephew the other day. He was, like, eight years old. And he's watching all these Marvel movies, and he thinks they're all great. I'm just like, dude, at some point, some uh, some <laughs> smart motherfucker when you're about 14 is going to realize that you grew up with these, with these bullshit comics, with these characters who are all goody-goody. And you're gonna, and, and so someone's gonna throw some really dark anti-hero against the uh, against the wall, and you're gonna think that's the coolest fucking thing you ever saw. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. And, uh, God, I hope it's Spawn, and I hope they do it right the next time. Oh, <laughs> I will end it on that note. Thank you for reminding me. Um, Todd McFarlane himself is making a new Spawn movie. Nuh-uh. and I found you this are out. shitting me. It, it's already being filmed as we speak. Oh. And, I hope it's good. <laughs> uh, he is he is hands on everything, and it not. is who are the two detectives? Oh, Sam and Twitch. It is actually a story of Sam and Twitch, and Spawn is a background character. See, so and that there, was one thing about McFarlane too. He always loved the Sam and Twitch characters yeah. more well, than he actually. So they're uh, the whole movie, I guess, is them um, investigating Spawn. investigating all yeah. these mysterious deaths of all these bad people. And we'll Spawn see. is like the guy that's killing them. That seems a little too tangential, but we'll see. We'll see what he happens. He described it to a news source as, you know, Jaws? And people went, yeah. He's like, Spawn is the shark in Jaws. And if you think about it, if you take a step back and think about it, it's like, okay. So he, like, occasionally you see him, and but he's still the main subject of the entire fucking movie. All right. I'm into um, it. You know, I'm I, super I, excited. It comes out in 2019. Uh, and like I said, uh, Todd McFarlane is a co-creator of Venom, which comes out this year that I'm super excited about because it looks like they finally did it right and he got his own movie and I love it. Uh, <laughs> it but, is PG-13 though. I heard, I heard there was an uproar. About no, it. they got it. They got the R. <laughs> I think they got <laughs> the R. All you have to do is add some tits. How hard is this? <laughs> I think, did they get the R? Were they fighting to not get the R? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I'll watch it regardless. Yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a slave. Well, hey, tomorrow. they got uh, what's his name to play Venom, which is which is outrageously good. That same guy. guy who played Bane. Same guy who played Bane. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. I, I, I'm drunk. Sorry. <laughs> you see, we had a couple. Yeah, we had a couple good pumpkin ales. No, right. by the way, even though that, that pumpkin ale I said tasted like chewed dog shit, uh, I, I actually drank the whole thing. And after a couple of, it, I'm gonna let you guys in on a secret that Mike doesn't realize. The more you drink of a different beer, the more the other one tastes good. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> All right, so Spawn, uh, I know this was a long episode, but this was a huge chunk of inspiration in both of our childhoods, and I appreciate you guys listening. If you want to find the comics, you want to find the show, uh, like I said, the show is on HBO. Go. Uh, the movie is not streaming anywhere, but it doesn't matter because you shouldn't watch it anyway. Just listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> the soundtrack, I assure you, will be on iTunes. Yeah, Spotify, and the soundtrack the is amazing. And actually, if you look on... Uh, if you have an iPhone, you have Apple Music, you can look up the Spawn soundtrack, and people have, for whatever reason, because Apple Music's weird, they've had to custom make their own soundtrack, but it's the exact same as the regular soundtrack. But check it out. We're going to get to a little close here in a second. Um, Spawn is amazing. Al Simmons, Violator. <laughs> the Malbosia. The Malbosia. I don't know if I can add this at the last minute. Add it. Okay. So uh, I keep talking about the commentaries of Tom McFarlane on the back, and I don't think I, I fully grasped how uh, how influential they were in my life and my life until my uh, lie, my lie, my life is a lie. Uh, in my life until uh, I was thinking about this on the the drive back this morning, and I was like, you know, the first time I read about somebody just standing up for being an atheist was Todd McFarlane standing up for being an atheist in the back of Spawn comics. Mike was not an Irish Nails fan. <laughs> I was not an Irish Nails fan. In fact, the whole thing made me finally comfortable. But the first time, the very first, I am now. Yeah, yeah, like I, I but uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I'm not, not trying to offend anybody, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a hardcore. Oh, I'm kind of a hardcore atheist these days. He's a hardcore Catholic. Don't listen to him. That's not true at all. <laughs> To, to much to the chagrin of literally all of my family members. I won't say who, but I was at a Methodist church yesterday for a wedding, and someone said, is there going to be mass? And I was like, oh, that's not how that works. <laughs> but uh, the first time I read uh, sort of what, what could probably be called like an atheist, like this is what I'm all about. Was... The lyrics to Nine Inch Nails head like a hole. <laughs> no, because that was, well, and that was what I didn't like about it. It was just so fucking flippant. But here's a, so, and I want to say it was in the back of a spawn number, like number 14 or 15. Um and if you have to edit this out, you can. It's cool. No, you're uh, good. But uh, in the back of Spawn 14 or 15, uh, something like that, and I forget which one it was, there's some Christian uh, who writes in, you know, and, and look, I'm sure Todd McFarlane got letters like this all the time because Spawn was about all sorts oh, of yeah, well, I mean, Well, he, he, he definitely implicated heaven and hell. That's right, as being so on equal ground. In basically. that in itself, you're going to welcome in. Yeah, because the whole thing amount. was moral ambiguity, yeah. which to, to 14-year-old me was this weird but kind of awesome concept, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That, that it's like, look, this is not as clear-cut as you seem to think it is. Yeah, it's all gray area. And but, that's in, his, in defense of his little interest to his animated series. Yeah. Uh, the one I just watched, I think it's episode two of uh, the first season. He says, in my experience, nothing in this world is black and white. Yeah. And a lot of people view it that way. And like, for a 90s animated show, that's pretty profound. Yeah. And so I think what this letter was about, and again, I'm, I'm calling this out from like, you know, 25 years ago memory. Yeah. So if I get it, if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. But, but the, 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 you can write me. The, the, <laughs> the bottom line theme was it was a Christian writing in saying that, hey, you know, I don't really object to the way you're portraying hell and heaven and all these things. And, and Todd basically got on there and said, look, I'm an atheist. 
I'm writing good stories, essentially, that are about that they're about what it's like to be a human in the world, trying to figure out, you know, the difference between right and wrong when there are no clear cut answers. If you don't like it, quit fucking reading. Okay, nobody's nobody's forcing you to do this. And I, was, and I remember reading that and being horrified because number one, at the time, I didn't realize it was an okay thing to say that you didn't believe in God. But number two, being like, but right on, dude, right fucking on. This shit is not as easy as people seem to think it is. Yeah. Like right on, man. Yeah, that was a that was a gray area in our society. <laughs> <laughs> Still is, depending on who you ask. You you go to Alabama, you might get some opinions. In fact, Marilyn Manson might say it's a long, hard road out of hell. gonna wrap it up it's been a long one but it's been a good one uh i want to thank mike o'brien for coming in thank you for listening to me do a brain dump onto this <laughs> microphone this was awesome thanks Justin. mike uh if you want to see mike again you can come play dungeons and dragons with us because we are nerds to the fucking core <laughs> and i'm fine with it i can't uh <laughs> I, I i can't really confess too much to being a nerd except for the fact that some people ask me like what are you into and i'm just like i'm not going to tell you because you're just going to judge me <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to laugh at me uh, but this is our one year anniversary so that's super exciting i've been doing this for one year um as i mentioned last episode and i i'll wax a little about it more because i said i would this episode uh mike actually behind you there's a there's a little leather chair over there and it used to be on the other side of the basement but I sat in that chair and I was fucking half in the bag and I I recorded myself talking about Empire Records, which I think is a fucking phenomenal movie. It's and not. it is so good. It's We're not, not getting into that because it's so fucking good. Uh and and that was that was the first episode and it, this whole podcast was built off of uh me getting drunk and always wanting to make my wife listen to some 90s album or watch some 90s movie or, be, or something along those lines or I'd get like an old memory box out and be like oh you remember this crap like you know, Robin Hood Prince Thieves <laughs> uh, and it's it's built into this and you guys even in two months that I took off or downloading uh, hundreds of episodes a month and that's awesome and I can't thank you enough and it means so much and Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's been a year, and I look forward to keeping this going. And you will get an episode every week, as long as I can give you one, uh, until further notice. So, uh, as far as the drinking goes, that's going to continue too. Uh, you will have a new beer once a week. And I will have myself, or a guest, or both. I guess myself, or both. Because I'm never just going to give someone a microphone and be like, I'm gone, go do this. If you guys want to hear about finance stuff, like I will talk your ear off. It's true, he will. But I'll tell you what, if you guys want to hear about... Uh, I keep thinking when I start talking, the character you used to draw all the time is just going to pop in my head, but it never does. 
Um, powdered Toast Man. Oh my god, it's not Powdered Toast Man. <laughs> Ren and Stimpy did Powdered Toast Man. How dare you try to steal? Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Beers in 90s. That's B E E R S A N D 90S. Or email me at Beers in 90s at gmail.com. If you have questions for Mike, you can also email me at beersin90s.com <laughs> or beersin90s at gmail.com, and I will pass them along to him. If you want me to build a financial model for you, that's um, what I'm here for. Yeah, if yeah. you find yourself being 14 and questioning religion, that's perfectly normal. Keep doing that. Keep and, doing that. <laughs> uh, comic books are a dying business. So, uh, so if sad. you listen to this and you have any idea what we're talking about, go... Uh, Go, like, for, for nothing else, for vintage purposes, go buy a comic book. Uh, there are comic stores around, and they are flourishing on whatever business they get. So go check them out, because it's pretty amazing. And thank you guys so much for listening. Mike, you're about to say something. The best part about comic <laughs> books is not actually the reading of the comic books. It's the drawing your own. Oh, see? Look at that. Adding creativity into it. Yeah, you've never known how many different size pens you need until you actually <laughs> try to ink a comic book. Uh, holy shit! I just had a flashback because Mike had this whole what was it called? I had a box. Prismacolor? Had... Was it ultra? Was it Prismacolor did it or was it ultra color or something? I think it was Prismacolor, and I also had oh a, God, a tackle box full so of drawing yeah. supplies. So many, and and. There, each one does a different darkness and thickness line, and you learn all of them. Oh my god! Uh, but yeah, animators, comic book readers, and and nerds alike, thanks for listening. Uh, episode 44 is next week. We've been here for a year, and we will be here for years to come as long as I don't get bored. (laughs) Just kidding, but I'm not, but I am. Okay, bye. Say bye. Bye bye. Bye. Sexy singing dreams like I've never been living. Yeah.